You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from two places. First, from the book of Isaiah in chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, which is on page 812 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along, in the Old Testament section. And this is a reading from the Good News Translation. The prophet Isaiah says, Why don't you tear the sky open and come down, O God? The mountains would see you and shake with fear. They would tremble like water boiling after a hot fire. Come and reveal your power to your enemies and make the nations tremble at your presence. There was a time when you came and did terrifying things that we did not expect. The mountains saw you and shook with fear. No one has ever seen or heard of a God like you who does such deeds for those who put their hope in him. You welcome those who find joy in doing what is right, those who remember how you want them to live. You were angry with us, but we went on sinning. In spite of your great anger, we have continued to do wrong since ancient times. All of us have been sinful. Our best actions are filthy through and through. Because of our sins, we are like leaves that wither and are blown away by the wind. No one turns to you in prayer. No one goes to you for help. You have hidden yourself from us and have abandoned us because of our sins. But you are our Father, O Lord. We are like clay and you are like the potter. You created us. So do not be too angry with us or hold our sins against us forever. We are your people. Be merciful to us. And then from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 13, two different places, verses 24 through 27, and then verses 32 through 37. And this starts on page 68 of the New Testament from the Good News Translation. Jesus says, In the days after that, the time of trouble, the sun will grow dark, the moon will no longer shine, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers in space will be driven from their courses. Then then the Son of Man will appear, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He, with great power and glory, he will send the angels out to the four corners of the earth to gather God's chosen people from one end of the world to the other. No one knows, however, when that day or hour will come. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father knows. Be on watch and be alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It will be like a man who goes away from home on a trip and leaves his servants in charge after giving to each one his own work to do and after telling the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch then, because you do not know when the master of the house is coming. It might be in the evening or at midnight or before dawn or at the sunrise. If he comes suddenly, he must not find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So I don't know if you know this about me or not, or if you've guessed this about me or not, but I tend to be a pretty risk-averse person. I am a risk-never type of a person. I'm okay with it being boring, like we were talking about during the children's sermon. 
I'm the kind of person that likes to think and then overthink every possible outcome. And then if I do make a choice and take a risk, I want to be in control of what happens next as much as I possibly can. I'm seeing some nodding. I have found my people. Taking a risk is hard. But the problem is, is that sometimes I find myself paralyzed because there are just too many possibilities to track down. There are outcomes that I cannot fathom, and sometimes everything starts to become too much. I know I mentioned this before, but I was, uh, at, you know, when I went to transferred schools, I took a risk in transferred schools, went to the University of Sioux Falls. I didn't talk to anybody for like four days because it was all just too much of a risk. What if they didn't like me? I was a sophomore transfer. They all made their friends during their freshman year of college. They didn't want to include another person into their friend group, and so I just talked to nobody. In my dorm room, I had two roommates because I was a corner room in Sullivan Hall. And like, honestly, I think I didn't talk to my other roommate for like a month. Um, Just too big of a risk. I'm a little bit exaggerating, but not by much. It was just too much of a risk. Because the reality is that sometimes taking risks isn't all it's cracked up to be, right? We've all been there when we've taken a risk and gotten burnt and then just decided, that's it, no more risks for me, I'm fine, thank you very much. But that makes it all the more shocking when we, people like me, people that are risk-averse, take the chance and make a risk. Advent, the season in which we find ourselves, Advent, is a little bit of a risk, isn't it? Perhaps the biggest risk that we can take during this Advent season is to participate. Whether the risk that we are willing to take is to just dip our toe into the waters of what Advent has in store for us or to take the big risk and just dive headlong into it. Think with me about the themes of the Advent season. We begin this morning with hope, and then we move to peace, and then we move to joy, and then we move to love. All of these things feel risky. There is a risk involved in all of them. But what happens when risk-averse people can look around the world the world as it is right now, and still hold on to some kind of hope in something better, some kind of hope in something bigger, some kind of hope in something that has been promised to us by God. This Advent season, I am going to choose to risk. I'm going to choose to risk hope. And I hope that you will Our hopes during this Advent season are all wrapped up in what happened in Bethlehem a long time ago, in the birth of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, our hope is wrapped up in something that is yet to happen. As we look at the calendar, we know that we are waiting for the advent of Jesus. We are waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but we're also looking for something more. 
We are not just hoping for a historical remembrance. We are not hoping for pangs of nostalgia. We are hoping for a new reality, a new encounter. On one hand, we are waiting to celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus Christ on that night long ago. We are waiting for the opportunity to give thanks for the ministry that unfolded because of Jesus' presence on earth. But on the other hand, we are also looking forward to something else. We are looking forward to something bigger. We are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. What Charles Wesley referred to in the hymns as the second birth, friends, there is another advent coming. There's another arrival coming. And that in itself should spur us on to greater hope, to risky hope, to shocking hope. And the good news is that this shocking hope is not without its precedent. This shocking hope of Advent is not without some grounding. In our scripture this morning from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah captures the heart of a people that have been in exile for an awfully long time. And he prays, as the voice of the people, he prays that God would come down, tear open the heavens, and do something to improve their situation. By the time we reach the last chapters of Isaiah, where we find ourselves this morning, the people have been in exile for some time, and they have been longing for things to change. They have been hoping for improvement. And so Isaiah prays, God, why won't you just tear open the heavens and come down here? I know we're horrible, but just do it. Come down here and shake us to greater faithfulness. They are longing for something to change. But what I find so interesting is at the same time, they know God has been with them in exile, but it's just not enough. And as they are in exile, and as the exile drags on and on, they are waiting for things to change. And it's hard to hold on to hope. But in the fullness of God's time, God would fulfill the words of Isaiah's prayer. In the fullness of God's time, God would do exactly that. Tear open the heavens and come down and be with the people of God. And it would not exactly be when, they, when, when God restored Israel to their homeland, which absolutely happened. And it would not be as Israel rebuilt and reestablished their life in Israel. It wouldn't even be in ways that the people of God expected. But it would be at that first advent of Jesus. It would be when he was born. Isaiah's prayer was, was, so that for the, was that God would tear open the skies and just be with the people. And God was. They named him Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of Man, and Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the one who was and is and will forever be our ultimate hope. But believing in the birth of Jesus, as shocking as that can be, is not the biggest risk of the Advent season. Our shocking hope, our big risk hope, is holding on to the hope that Isaiah's prophetic words were pointing to something even bigger. That Jesus would come again, that Jesus would come and triumph over everything, triumph over death and hell and all that separates us from the goodness of God. And we symbolize and celebrate all of this in the person of Jesus. We celebrate all of this in the birth of Jesus. But it's not just historical. It's not just nostalgic. It's so that we believe it can happen again because it happened once already. And so that we can know what the signs are so we know when it is going to happen. Because the risk averse among us, we want to know those things. The pragmatic, the practical, the nuts and bolts impulse for us is to ask the question, when will these things take place? And here comes the bigger risk, right? Because we don't know. We don't know. Will it come tomorrow? Will it come next week? Will it come in time for Christmas? We don't know the answer. And to make it even more complicated, Jesus himself does not know the answer. We hear Jesus say as much in our scripture this morning from Mark's gospel. Jesus says, No one knows when that day or hour will come, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father knows. And so people who spend their time trying to figure out when, people who try to figure out what all these signs mean, focus on the wrong things. Trying to figure out what's going to happen, even for the most risk-averse person, trying to figure it all out is not a risk that is worth our hope. It's not a risk that's worth it. So I like how David Garland says this in his commentary on on Mark's gospel. He says, Busying oneself with calculations about dates and futures is a fruitless exercise that can only distract the church from the mission to which God has called us, which is to preach the gospel. God does not require a studious deciphering of the international threats and natural disasters, but God requires of us spiritual vigilance to be ready for Jesus' return whenever it happens. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? And what do we do in the meantime? While we wait, we hold on to hope. And sometimes that's enough. Because sometimes the world does not give us a whole lot of evidence and a whole lot of like support for holding on to hopefulness. We see in our world today political unrest in this country. 
We see in our world today our divisions only becoming more and more entrenched. We see war and injustice. We worry about our aging parents. We worry about our grades on that test. We worry about so many things that keep us up at night. Yet we believe at our heart of hearts that there is something bigger happening. Yet we hold on to hope. We have hope that God will once again tear open the heavens and be with us. We have hope that we'll rehearse this story of Jesus' birth again this year, celebrating it once again with hope in our hearts that God will show up in a brand new way. We hope in our hearts that God will meet us, that Jesus will meet us in the bread and cup of which we partake in a few moments. We hold on to hope and it empowers us to do the work of God's kingdom. And so friends, I know that hope is a risk. I get it. Hope is a risk. And so let us shock those around us And let us maybe even shock ourselves by being willing to take that risk this Advent season. Would you pray with me? God, we do indeed see the world around us. And it does indeed give us pause. It does make hope hard. It does make hope risky. Shock us, oh God by coming down and being with us. Shock us by reminding us that you are still there. Shock us during this season and show up in a brand new and unexpected way so that we can hold on to hope one more day, one more time, one more season. And as the word of the scripture close, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Be our hope and fulfill our hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.